Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast. You are joining us for episode 243, Schmack Schmeen and Civil Disobedience. In today's conversation, we're going to be discussing where we're at with the pandemic and medical autonomy, as well as considerations for your own household and family. Yes, this is definitely a marathon, not a sprint, and I feel it's been due time since the last time we've done an update on the Schmershmona virus. <laughs> I always get good laughs. Y'all love when I'm on social media and I have to totally butcher the words to not be completely shadow banned or censored, but I think censorship is another very direct awakening or awareness point of how there is a manipulated narrative because we all know that for scientific discovery, it is absolutely essential to continue to question the hypothesis. And when we are silencing clinical and sound medical voices that work against the narrative of you just need the jab, shut up and take the shot, or it used to be shut up and wear the mask, now shut up and take the shot, uh, we have to start to think about why we're not hearing about successful treatments, why we aren't investing as heavily in therapeutics, and also just really determining what is your true risk and how do you allow that to influence your day-to-day decisions in your household. So if we go back in time from the beginning of all of this, back in March of 2020, we put out episode 179 called Coronavirus and Supporting Immune Health. And Becky, at that time when we recorded that, we had no idea. Little did we know. <laughs> right? No doubt. We were, we're just like, like, this will be over in two weeks. Let's yeah. just give them immune tips. Like, yeah, this come is on, guys. another form of the many forms of coronaviruses out there. You know, we've seen... Yes, in infection rates going up and it to be concerning, but nothing to this level of polarization and financial incentives and uh, media manipulation, mm-hmm. to say the least. So that was episode 179. Then following that, uh, we recorded two weeks out because we had pre-recorded the 179, episode 180 on its heels, but that was recorded like March 20th or something instead of March 6th or something like that, uh, was called How Stress Hinders the Immune System and COVID Updates. And that's where we get nerdy on the ACE2 receptor function. We talk about therapeutics such as skullcap, different traditional Chinese herbs that had been working in uh, clinical studies from other forms of pandemics. And we're talking about like bird flu, SARS, um, and other forms of uh, respiratory viruses and inhalants. We talked about the influence of melatonin, vitamin D, and so much more. And then in episode 188, once Becky and I had a pretty clear hindrance with an eyebrow raise of, hmm, this isn't just about a pandemic, this is something bigger, we had guest Chris Northrup, uh, Dr. Christian Northrup, talk about vaccination. So the vaccine nation, if you will, and medical mishap. If you missed that, that's a really important episode for sure to understand funding and bureaucracy behind, behind policy in medicine. 
And then uh, we put out an episode 192, Keeping Our Kids Safe. And that was around May, I believe, of 2020 when we were talking about the CDC guidelines for back to school and uh, importance of uh, advocating for your children to not have to have mask mandates and watching out for the sterility influence and respiratory inhalants and considerations in like quats. At that time, we put out both blogs, um, the how masks don't work and advocating against them, and then also on disinfectant. So we'll link those in today's show notes as well. And then with my guest co-host, I think when Becky was on maternity to episode 219 with Brady Miller, I put out DVOC updates and long haulers. And so that was a couple months out from there. But since 20, 219, this today, episode 243 is our most recent. I know we've kind of commented here or there, like the importance of breath episode and sterility versus microbiome. There's been hints and connections, of course, on the importance of holding sovereignty and supporting the terrain, if you will, of your body. But today's going to be a really big deep dive of like, let's see what's happened (laughs) since we dug into this last. Let's watch this dumpster fire unload (laughs) (laughs) and then take pause and understand um, how we can support our bodies and our households. Yes. I can't believe we're still (laughs) talking about this. It's like day what what number? 300 and... (laughs) I don't even know to flatten the curve, but well, and I still keep finding myself, like I had said back in April of 2020, it's like, I wake up every morning thinking, oh, like this is it. You know, like we just recently have found now a lot of documents and funding information on gain of function research in the Wuhan lab. And it's like, this is going to be it. This is when the American people are going to say, oh, I see through this. And it's like I keep looking at this maroon wall and everyone else sees it as lime green and they're just double masking and doing their thing. So here we go. Anyway, before we get into all that, let's just have a quick word from our sponsor for this episode, Wild Foods. Yes. So Wild Foods is a company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They have our favorite pantry staples, so everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms to tea and cocotropics, which is a blend of a nootropic, which is a cognitive and mood stabilizing enhancer, which includes raw cacao powder, raw maca, uh, reishi mushroom, and also turmeric in there, and chaga, so great way to get a sustained energy boost and also kind of get that brain online Uh, they have partnered with us to support you guys in your food as medicine journey so when you use the code ally miller rd at checkout you will get 12 percent off of your order and some of our favorite things we use and talk about pretty regularly include the wild vanilla which is hand harvested vanilla beans so you can make protein shakes we just recently on the youtube channel did our perfecting protein shake video which has been a pretty big hit so we'll link that for y'all to watch in today's episode as well we talk about the importance of protein there but we use the vanilla bean in our creamsicle protein shake oh, yeah. which has so good yeah like orange zest and orange segments but if you're using vanilla extract you would taste that 
uh, yuck alcohol component. So the wild uh, harvested vanilla beans are fantastic in a smoothie, a shake, or even in your baked recipes. The raw cacao uh, butter wafers, so this uses the fat from the cacao plant, so cocoa or chocolate. Uh, this can be used in homemade skin creams, lotions, soaps, as well as a dairy-free fatty coffee, so a great thing to play with there. We love their matcha, which is stone ground green tea leaves, providing, of course, 10 times the nutritional benefits of the green tea leaf because when you grind that up, that activates and exposes all of the antioxidants, more L-theanine to get that alpha brainwave boost. And their wild matcha is ceremonial grade, really bright green uh, really fantastic flavor profile, grassiness, and not dull like many others on the market. And then they have numbered mushroom and tea blends. So I love their Thai GT, which is a green rooibos with ginger, lemongrass, and lime. Also a big fan of their immune tea. Um, and really rooibos is a really fun one that's non-caffeinated but super potent in antioxidants. A great way to sip your way through the summer and maybe add a little bit of acid like lemon or lime or an orange slice a really refreshing thing to do as a midday pick-me-up um, so check out all of their products over at wildfoods.co that's .co and use the code Allie Miller RD at checkout and you will get 12% off your order okay let's just go ahead and maybe set the tone and establish what our goals are for today's episode yeah, you know, just recently in the last two months, I've had a couple people reach out to me on Instagram about how like, hey, I feel like you're you're a little shamey on the no masking thing, or um, I feel like your statements are coming a little bit judgmental. And I feel that I have to hold my ground and have a strong stance. And yes, everyone is at a different part of their journey. And yes, everyone is in a different situation with their place of employment as far as mandates. And yes, everyone's in a different state with different guidelines. So we're all experiencing this in a different way. And I do acknowledge that. But I feel that the narrative is such a steam train of delivery of one-sided messaging that I really do have to hold ground. And um, I do have to present the opposition. And I do have to do it in a way often on like Instagram or social media that's quick, effective, and snappy as I'm snapping my finger. <laughs> but but the big goal of today's episode, um, by no means do I ever have intention to shame. Um, when I look at the importance of empowerment and medicine, you know, I've talked a lot with the work that I've done with the anti-anxiety diet on the influence of the nocebo effect. And, you know, the nocebo effect is the idea that negative thoughts can harm. So we know the placebo effect, which we may be seeing evidence of with the schmackschmeen, who knows, mm -hmm. possibly so many people are feeling empowered to go out in the real world. Right. And just right. like they have this, this, um, technicolor dream coat of, um, armor on, but I digress. Hashtag I, hot vac summer. Have you seen that one? No. What is it? No. What is, <laughs> it's like hot girl summer from a couple summers ago, but it's now like, oh, you can go out and do everything oh, like man. a normal person because you got your vaccine. Anyway. I was talking to my mother-in-law and I was like, it's like the emperor wears new clothes. Like, you know, like people are walking around nude, <laughs> but thinking that they right. have this entirely right. different uh, body, different risk factor. And I'm like, I'm walking in the grocery store the same way I have this right. whole time, right. with the same level of fear, the same level of, but anyway, it's really important that we don't have a negative perspective or fear 
or shame or low vibration energy. So I had shared back last July um, this map of consciousness developed by David R. Hawkins, who is a researcher. And he looks at energy frequencies and associated emotional states and outlook or view on life. And the lowest vibration that you can achieve is that of shame followed by guilt, followed by apathy, followed by grief and fear. And then we work upbound into higher vibrations like maybe neutrality or willingness, acceptance. And then even higher would be reason or understanding, love, joy, peace, and, and the top being enlightenment, if you will. And so this idea of this nocebo effect, I never want my messaging to make someone feel shame from a decision that they've made because we're all in this on a continuum. So we're progressively learning about empowerment. And my goal is to potentially make you, yes, question the narrative, absolutely. Maybe question past decisions that you've made so that you can make radical change. Uh, but the goal is that you can do that in a way that still is supportive of self-love and self-care. And I, a year and a half, almost two years out from this now, am seeing this in a space that perhaps the most radical way that we can practice civil disobedience or stand up to this destructive narrative is through daily practice of pure ecstasy and joy and love. Um, and so how can we keep our vibration high? So I just want to make that very clear. I'm going to be talking about risks associated with both the Pfizer, Moderna, and uh, J&J vaccine today. I'm going to be talking about the negative influences of lockdown, of isolation, of masking. I know all of us have participated in different levels of this. And my intention is not to guilt or shame you. My intention is for you to understand risks and considerations that may not have been shared with you because I do not feel that there has been a solid informed consent. Uh, and my goal is that I can help you to navigate uh, mask-free in your future and um, also potentially take consideration of whether you have not elected to have the injection or not, or you have, how you can support your body's function. So I've heard, heard a lot of anxiety from followers on, hey, I got talked into it, then I listened to your DVOC episode um, a month later, and now I'm totally paranoid and stressed out about this. The big thing is if you are in a negative mental space, you will drive physical illness in your body. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that just like anything, I had a client just recently say, hey, I totally feel gas lamped by this. I ended up surrendering and getting the vaccine. And now I'm in this mindset that I think that I'm going through this autoimmune flare because of the vaccine. And I said, if you think that, that will happen. Right. Are there potential mechanisms that could drive an immune excessive response and an inflammatory cascade from an mRNA therapeutic that is still in an, its um, form of experimental, you know, hasn't gone through the phase four clinical trials. Yes, that's possible, but we need to make peace with that. We need to say it is, I am sovereign. I'm reclaiming, I'm reclaiming the wellness of my body and I'm taking steps to own and manifest wellness. Right. And we'll give you some of those solid steps as well in terms of like concrete supplementation and lifestyle interventions as well today. Yes. All right. Um, so I'll make sure I share that David Hawkins map because I think that's a great visual as well. Um, but I just want to say too, if you are emotionally and you know psychologically or even physically exhausted from all of this, 
there's a reason. Um, so there's been a lot of, of gaslighting going on. And, you know, we've even seen um, some well-renowned psychologists note elements of psychological and some would say spiritual warfare that have gone on in this past two years. So maybe let's start there and unpack, like, how are we getting the wool pulled over our eyes over and over again? Yeah. So gaslighting is a term that's been kind of thrown around recently, and it's a form of psychological abuse where a person or a group makes someone question their sanity, perception of reality, or memories. So uh, the most simple, I think, example of gaslighting is in masking. Um, And so people that are experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious, and unable to trust themselves, which dissociates an individual to be able to trust their instinct or their intuition. And this is what I really spoke to a lot in that whatever the episode on the children, um, Mm -hmm. keeping the children safe is as a mother, you need to not, uh, just listen to the headlines and message points of what you should be doing. You need to sit with what feels right for you and your children. And so when we have gaslighting where there's this incongruency or inconsistency of information that may be set up to do so, to question our sanity or perception of reality, then that allows the narrative to kind of take full steam. And this idea of trust the narrative, trust the science, and dissociate from your own innate principles or your own intuition um, can really be exacerbated. So when we're looking at manipulation in here, I think a, a couple things that are concerning, you know, when we're looking at the trend of how this all got started, a lot of ways we've been really replacing God with science, and I'm using science in air quotes in in various ways. And you could replace God if that doesn't make you comfortable with natural state of the world, natural um, science or evolution or just the way that we are biochemically wired and our innate and adaptive immune system functions, right? And we've been kind of gaslamped and told that we can't trust our own body's immune system through this whole process. We can't trust our own terrain. There's no individualized approach. I remember, again, when Times Magazine came out and said, we don't know why the elderly are more susceptible to this. So right Right. away, we weren't given concrete evidence of if your vitamin D status is suboptimal, you're at higher risk. If you are elderly and are dealing with a low white blood cell count, you are at increased risk if you have nutritional deficiencies, if you are dealing with rampant inflammation or you have a higher C-reactive protein and your inflammatory status isn't compensated with anti-inflammatory foods and a high antioxidant-rich diet, you're at enhanced risk. If you have imbalanced metabolic health or dysmetabolic syndrome or diabetes or an elevated blood sugar level and elevated insulin levels, you're put at higher risk. So we were never given any step of empowerment of what we could do. All we were told was lock down, cover your face, and wait for the vaccine. That was period. And then we went further into uh, manipulating data on potential therapeutics, which I'll get to that in a moment. Um, There were a lot of uh, arbitrary rituals Mm -hmm. that were established early on that still have not stood the time of science. And um, if we're thinking about like this 
six feet distance, six feet spaced, all of these visualizations. There was never demonstrated studies, um, but we do know what has been very clinically proven is the heart map research, which shows that human integration or connections of human beings can be felt vibrationally based on our EMF, our electromagnetic field of the heart, which can be sensed up to six feet away. You know, we know this from an EKG that there actually is electromagnetic output upwards of six feet. So when you separate people six feet, what happens to that humanity connectivity of each other and this movement connected, we're going dissociative and again, kind of cutting these cords, if you will. It was recommended no hugging, no singing in some places, um, no gathering with loved ones and um, recommended complete isolation. And if not, you should feel shamed and guilt because you could kill someone. Right. Um, there was replacing God with science and, and blasphemy in the sense of there's in Fauci we trust uh, posters out there. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know how you can get more blasphemic than that. Um, there's images of the Statue of Liberty. I remember seeing Trevor Noah early on mm. in the background of his like room, I guess, with Statue of Liberty holding a big vaccine mm-hmm. instead of Lady Liberty <laughs> holding a flame. Uh-huh. Um, there's been actual arrests of police. Uh, you know, in Poland, there was a, 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 a priest, excuse me, arrests of priests because of worshiping and gathering in their, in their churches. Um, family members in American hospitals aren't, weren't able to visit ill and dying members in the hospital. They had to quarantine, of course, if positive, and weren't able to hold the hand of a loved one as they passed to the other side. Now, you had to quarantine if you worked in an office or your child was in a school or you had any connection to someone who tested positive, yet the COVID testing site worker who was swabbing people surrounded by many positive people, never had to quarantine. Right. So there's just these weird, <laughs> incongruent um, elements that, that would allow critical thinking to clearly say something isn't lining up here, yet the cascade kept going on. Right. And there's even like funny examples of it where it's like, okay, distance six feet in, you know, a a vertical manner, but not horizontal. Like the virus can't move horizontally when we're setting up these arbitrary rules and regulations and and the restaurant thing. I think that's like the biggest example of you could be standing up or sitting down in the exact same, you know, distance from someone. But if you stand up from that table, the virus can get you and you need to put on your mask. It's just like, a total mind F. And yeah. I remember arguing early on, can children just go to school in right. restaurants so right. that they don't have to wear masks right. while seated right. at their desks? Right. Yes. Hmm. <laughs> so um, let's talk maybe a little more just on these like incongruencies and consistencies and, and kind of the, the mind F of the bad season. Yeah. So I think, like I said, the masks are kind of, I think the the most broad Mm -hmm. gaslighting, um, because initial on early, it's, it's been medical consensus that masks other than N95 protective, uh, filtered masks, and we're talking about PPE or especially cloth masks and having the Surgeon General make one with a Mm -hmm. (laughs) t-shirt down the line. It has been medical consensus that masks do not work to reduce respiratory infections, that respiratory infections run their course, and you know how they're passed? Through herd immunity, through natural infection and immunological response. Now, yes, there are some areas in populations in Asia where masks are worn, and many will argue a lot of that is 
due to the concern of pollution Mm -hmm. and air contaminants, which yes, can exacerbate respiratory infection and illness and make symptoms more severe because it further reduces your oxidative um, antioxidants and increases the oxidative stress or inflammation in the respiratory system. But there's places in rural America that have very limited, you know, areas of um, pollution and there's denser parts in, in denser areas. And there was never any association of the conditions of what should be done also based on levels of infection, based on levels of area where you live. Um, Fauci came out early on and said the masks don't work, that they may may reduce some schmutz or, um, and may look like um, that people may think that they offer protection. Fauci, also important to note, um, was an author of a study that likens masks to a talisman or to a symbol of protection in the medical field. And this is a, a paper that was authored years back. And he also was an author of a paper that looked at the Spanish flu and looked at the influence of bacteria pneumonia, not respiratory virus, as being a bigger cause of mortality. There has not been a single study to date that demonstrates the efficacy of mask wearing in the real world environment to reduce respiratory virus. In fact, the only randomized clinical trial, the Denmark study, which many call the the Denmask study, showed no statistical significant reduction. And we also see now in real time states that removed their mandates and those that did not, did not have any appreciable influx of, you know, what was it called, Becky? when Texas, um, what was the term that was used? Savage? Uh, or Neanderthal, Neanderthal thinking. thinking. Right. There we're, we're doing all right down here. Yeah. Um, quite well, actually. <laughs> yes. So, What about the masks on the hamsters, Allie? What? No. The oh. hamster study? <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, the only... Okay. And then... And then <laughs> The, the, the narrative that masks protect others by blocking droplets or viral particles, you know, and so if this is a vector of viral particles, there's no consideration or discussion on disposal of these hazards, mm-hmm. these right. hazardous right. materials that are holding all of these pathogens that are going to kill your grandma. Why do you get to just drop it on the road or right. on your hiking trail right. or just toss it in a garbage can? Shouldn't they be in biohazard bags? And then came the recommendation to double up. Uh, They used a dummy. It was a single study that used a dummy, not a human. And I mean, it's just wild. So I feel like this continued to go on. And just recently, in the last three months, um, so in March 10th is when Texas released their mandate. But us living in Austin didn't really experience that much early on. But um, in bureaucracy... I think that Fauci has gotten more and more under the the bright spotlight as of recent. There were two uh, trial episodes where uh, Rand Paul um, had really questioned two really important pieces of, I think, why the timeline has sped up to demask. One, Rand Paul used the term political theater. And um, he's a physician, it's fair to say that. Um, He has done pro bono surgeries and, um, you know, I think is one of, the left-acting critical thinkers um, in this in this story of what's going on in America. And he stated political theater. He said, you know, you're standing here, Dr. Fauci, vaccinated fully, have been for beyond the two-week window of efficacy. Do you believe in the vaccine or not? Because if not, this is political theater. Mm-hmm. You're just wearing a virtue and showing people that this is what they should do. Um, and I think that the idea of 
like Fauci knew as a talisman, the mask played a role as a physical reminder and ultimately a switch bait to require vaccination to be freed again. You know, so there's this physical awareness. When, when you think of 2020, you can't think of the year without masks. Right. And um, I mean, having a, an almost five-year-old, Stella has asked me so many times, we've had such interesting conversations of, mom, did people always wear masks? How long are people going to do this? What does it mean? Um, why do people believe in masks? And I always say, you don't believe in masks. You believe in God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> masks are something that some people think will help them and uh, prevent infection, but the, the clinical studies just don't support that, Stella, and so that's why our family doesn't do it. Um, and then Rand Paul also came out later on at talking about gain-of-function research, mm-hmm. and I think when gain-of-function research came out and actually networks pretty broad started showing funding documentation and the pass-through lab that did fund Wuhan um, and seeing some NIAD research money, that's when very quickly, the first weekend we saw CDC liberated the recommendation of masking outdoors. And then the following week, that iconograph that was like red and yeah. green and only had green for vaccinated outside non-mask was green, 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 yep. green. Yep. You can take your mask and off at nothing, sports theaters. Uh, at, nothing everywhere. changed. Like no, no study. Study, no level of inf- infection. Nothing changed. Nothing had changed. And all of a sudden, oh, you can take them off. Magic. Yeah. <laughs> and perhaps the more draconian, which... I've had a big issue with, of course, A, the idea that masks are not net neutral. They're net harmful. They actually uh, are going to hinder a excretory organ, which requires exhalation to regulate our pH in our body, to regulate our immune function, to regulate our toxicity in our body, that exhaling is an essential component for overall whole body health, and also Getting ample oxygenation is really essential, especially when we talk about like hypocampal oxygen demands for a developing neurological system in a child. But beyond that, which I spoke about a lot in the Importance of Breath episode, I think the kind of big gamut on this or or hit to me that, that hits me in my spirit is the idea that the word spirit literally translates to breath. Um, And so if we think of the ancient Greek word uh, pneuma, it stands for breath and the religious context for spirit or soul. And um, although there are are many technical, you know, meanings or interpretations of this, we know that the Greek translations in the Hebrew Bible and the Greek New Testament really do tie in that idea of breath of life and that translates to spirit or soul. And so there's that visual heaviness, I think, that a lot of us have experienced. And if not personally, I know I have personally, and I witness it, especially when I see children wearing them, their parents not wearing them because they're told that that's the acceptable transition now. Yeah, that that really gets me, especially yesterday seeing like a two-year-old with the mother unmasked. I'm like, come on. Yeah, and and we said that early on with keeping our kids safe, like, the mothers will turn this around. A mother can't, in their good conscience, put something over their child's face to block their nonverbal communication, to hinder their immune system, and to break their spirit. And we know that masks have been used in history with slavery and with um, just demonic negative presence. Yep. And, and I know a big part of the shift from the medical consensus or really accepted medical truth was with masking and herd immunity. Yes. Um, It's been a really big deal when herd immunity, which was a shamed term, or we were told herd immunity doesn't actually 
exist, it's now been redefined as you get herd immunity only from a vaccine. You don't get it from natural infection. So let's maybe unpack that dumpster fire a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that, again, if we look at the timeline of all of this, the suppression of therapeutics and treatments, so hydroxychloroquine was first and ivermectin second. Um, this assault on these potential therapeutics that many physicians are successfully using as treatments. Uh, we're seeing reduction of, you know, you know like 86% improved outcomes and also the censorship from YouTube and social media channels, including uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, on suppression of natural remedies. So the world of vitamin D, um, vitamin C, all of these nutrients that we've long acknowledged in the medical world of being successful tools to enhance both innate and acquired immunity had all been censored and, and shut down, if you if you will. So when we see these purposely funded flawed studies on hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, either giving treatments to patients when who were too gravely ill or at doses that were insufficient, just outright refusal to consider therapeutics and no funding or conversation about seeking therapeutics um, is important to acknowledge as a part of the narrative because we needed to see no therapeutics or alternative treatments if we were to be granted emergency authorization use for this novel form of a vaccine. And so I think that that's a big thing that should raise an eyebrow in everyone. Even if your team, I love Pfizer, Moderna, and I'm excited and proud of my vaccine, why are we still not talking about successful therapeutics, which we know exist, because the severity of hospitalization and mortality is substantially down? Sure. So there are doctors that have, I mean, I've, I've read so many protocols of successful treatments, including nebulized glutathione. I mean, there, there's so many different forms out there, but that's a huge piece of the puzzle. When we suppress therapeutics and treatment, that allowed the insert to grant emergency authorization use for VAX. The other thing that allowed emergency authorization use was making this an emergency in the right. first place. Right. I was going to say that. I think that's important to note. Equally. Yeah. Equally. Um, and so if we're talking about cases, how did we define a case? Um, you know, there was the CDC shifted just as of January 20th, 2021, right off after inauguration, we saw a shift in the PCR threshold, which identified what a successful case was. And we'll, we'll nerd out on that a little bit deeper. But when you reduce the amount of cycles of a threshold that you run PCR test, you're going to see less rate of positive cases. Um, we saw suppression of convalescent plasma. I remember when uh, Trump started talking about that and I was like, oh, this is interesting. This is the only way we eradicated Ebola. Mm-hmm. This is, this is, we're onto something. And then it was just mute. Right. There, there, there was just like, oh, that guy said you should inject bleach. So nothing matters yeah, here. Yeah. Right. Nothing right. to look at. Yet I just found a research study from May of 2021, just recent, that was actually arguing that that's part of why Texas is doing so good. Um, University of Texas actually has one of the largest convalescent plasma research studies going on right now and we're seeing successful treatment outcomes um i think beyond suppressing treatment and therapeutics and beyond um manipulating what caused or what what classified as a positive case then is this concept you're right becky of natural immunity and um i kind of had an issue with this i've had an issue with this the whole time because i kept saying this is how respiratory viruses run their course Mm -hmm. you know like i opened up with 
Um, I saw a post on Dr. Oz earlier this year, and um, I need to just read it because it's so it's so frustrating. Looking ahead to summer, national security expert Juliet Kayim says, as more people get vaccinated and the rate of infection decreases, we will feel more like normal, but it requires a vigilance. And I said in my reply, the complete disregard of natural immunity through infection as primary driver of herd immunity is pro-agenda, pro-pharma, and anti-science. This is disappointing. And, you know, straight out of the CDC, which had since updated their definition of herd immunity, like when when medical organizations are redefining right. terms that were defined for decades, that raises an eyebrow right. of narrative. Right. <laughs> but herd immunity was also, um, when you went on the CDC.gov, and I have a snapshot on my Instagram before it changed, it said herd immunity, see community immunity. And this is what community immunity is defined as. A situation in which a sufficient proportion of a population is immune to an infectious disease through vaccination and or prior illness to make it spread from person to person unlikely. Even individuals not vaccinated, such as newborns and those with chronic illnesses, are offered some protection because the disease has little opportunity to spread within the community also known as herd immunity. So very clearly defines that it's not, we need this percent of population vaccinated, we need to reach herd immunity. And so we've seen robust natural immunity and the research studies that demonstrate the influence of our B cells and T cells, which outlive the antibody testing, Mm we've seen that suppressed as well. So we're seeing suppression of the conversation of natural immunity. We know that there's at least eight plus months after infection for an individual that's recovered from COVID-19. A nature study also demonstrated robust natural immunity in people that have recovered from SARS and SARS-CoV-2. And we have that as a hypothesis of why a lot of children aren't being affected as severely because the common coronavirus is virus colds that pass through daycares and schools Mm -hmm. have supported their natural robust immune system so they're not getting severity of infection. And when we think back to things like the Spanish flu, we saw immunity, actually markers of immunity, upwards of 90 plus years post-infection still present. And what we know, which is superior with natural infection versus injection, is that infection has a 0.6 reinfectivity rate. Um, So for people that have successfully uh, managed the infection of COVID, their reinfectivity is less than 1%, which is quite a robust immune response, again, via T cells, beyond their antibodies. And the injection itself, we continue to see outbreaks right. of individuals, you know, of, of, oh, this sports team all had vaccines and 16 of them right. tested positive. So what we did, instead of researching if the vaccine actually works, which that is an elephant in the room that we'll get to, is the CDC jumped on defining cycle threshold testing and reducing the cycle thresholds for a positive test case if you've been vaccinated. If that isn't clearly manipulation of science, I don't know what is. Oh man, <laughs> so much to unpack. And, and that's been a big argument I've gotten into um, with some people that I know who've been like, aren't you going to get the vaccine? Um, I'm like, no, I already had COVID. Like, I don't need to. They're like, but aren't you afraid you could get reinfected? And I'm like, aren't you um, <laughs> Yeah, with your vaccine? But it's it's just a really scary time, you know, when the message is, is so dumbed down to just get the jab, um, you know, that replacing, just get the mask versus taking a moment to 
acknowledge herd immunity and you know that that can include natural infection yeah and remember um like every tv station that was counting cases and how that just disappeared when they decided that they wanted to use the words herd immunity right right (laughs) they had cases 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 and literally like right after inauguration as well it was like oh there's been a political shift and um now we're talking about everyone getting vaccinated Mm -hmm. and we're not going to case count anymore because we don't want you guys to understand that it's a combination of natural infection plus injection and that we likely are already there right Right, especially in in certain states like Texas. Um, But let's dig more in maybe on this manipulation of of data because I think this is important. Like what actually equates a case as well as um, those changes that you mentioned for people who have been vaccinated not even being included in case reporting. Yeah, so again, that's the, the new thing. And so Again, I I really think it's important to kind of pause and understand that in order to make the experimental gene therapy, quote unquote, vaccine, which is an injection truly, um, effective, uh, we had to see that there were no therapeutics and that there were high cases. So we required high amounts of false positive tests. And the PCR test, we know that the manufacturer himself who developed the test said that it should never be used as diagnostic testing. Um, yet it was used to actually diagnose positive cases. And this drove an inflated case count. So when we were looking at the uh, cycle threshold, we knew that throughout the pandemic, the cycle thresholds were used in an excess of 35, upwards of 47, I've heard in some cases. Um, And so even Fauci himself said any cycle threshold over 35 of a PCR test is meaningless. Essentially, labs were running as many cycles as necessary to get a certain Mm -hmm. amount of criteria of positive cases because that was the goal. So now what we're seeing is, again, as of January 21st, the cycle threshold was standardized to be lowered, and that was announced very, it wasn't announced, actually. (laughs) I announced it and remember sharing it on social media, but it was really kind of under the table where that threshold was set. So we started to see total cases going down. But the concern of the break of the narrative of maybe vaccines don't work as the media started covering these fully vaccinated organizations, groups, again, sports teams, et cetera, with quote unquote outbreaks, the CDC stated that it will only accept samples achieved from 28 cycles or fewer. And there was actually a deliberate decision to decrease the number of breakthrough infections um, and also to report more that have been officially recovered, if you will. They also pulled out that asymptomatic or mild infections can no longer be recorded as COVID cases. Whereas before, you could be on hospice. You could be on hospice on your deathbed with a terminal illness and test positive for COVID that they ran at 35 plus thresholds and you'd be counted as a COVID death. So now Hmm. we're saying, A, we're lowering the cycle threshold for a positive to be under 28 cycles. And if you're asymptomatic, you can't check that box of a positive case. So this low threshold itself is reducing the sequence of the virus. um, And so we're getting manipulation of data. So, so wild. And even the emergency use authorization, are we still then without counting cases in a state of emergency? And if so... You know, if we're not, then the vaccine, all the the whole house of cards would fall if we were right. to drop that state of emergency, which is so, so wild. Which is why they fluxed right. up the, the, right. the 
the cycle threshold and now it's yep. pulled down yep. when people are already in this turnstile. Yeah, right. I, I totally agree that the amount of misinformation is totally rampant. Just last week, Blue Cross Blue Shield Texas sent me this FAQ updates on COVID-19 and I pulled it up and just rolled my eyes. Um, these were three of the points. It spreads easily and quickly from person to person by air droplets or by touch. It is novel or new, meaning there's no proven treatment or cure. It often causes severe respiratory problems that require hospital care. I'm sorry, but I don't have the exact statistic right now, but it is not often cause severe respiratory mm. problems that require hospital care. In fact, the case fatality rate continues to decline right. as we took those initial epidemiological projections, which were manipulated, and we truly are seeing it likely to a similar mortality of the flu. Um, we also know that by touch, um, you know, we saw Lancet infectious diseases in July even of last year, 2020, arguing that surfaces really presented relatively very little risk. And then the CDC updated their stance. Um, it, it's just been this constant gaslighting of you need to do this. You need to wear gloves. Oh, no, you don't need to wear gloves. You need to wear a mask. It's to protect others. Well, if you're vaccinated and the vaccine actually doesn't work to protect others from infection, it works like a computer program for your system. That was all interesting when they tried to explain to the public what an mRNA vaccine is. It works like a computer programming to teach your body to make the things because there's no attenuated or inactive virus that you're getting. So by definition, it's not a vaccine. They didn't want to say that. They just said it teaches your body like a computer program program to fight this pandemic, but it may not reduce infection to others. So you must still continue to wear your mask and distance and clean your surfaces. And now no more. No, you don't have to do any of that as long as you have the computer program. Um, yes. <laughs> um, and then in this world of, of misinformation, I think the big elephant in the room is really the efficacy of the vaccines. Um, so you know, the data looks to be pretty heavily skewed, but let's just maybe set the tone on, on the CDC and vaccines. First of all, um, we talked about this with Chris Northrup, but how, you know, the CDC is a for-profit organization. It reaps financial gains based on increased vaccination strategy. They're not a nonprofit. We shouldn't be donating to them. Um, right. That was a big thing I saw like early on too. I'm like, oh my God, what? <laughs> who is holding these fundraisers for the CDC? They do not need your money. Right. Well, and it's like, does the does the injection have to be that successful if the cases are inflated? Like if it's not even that big of right. a thing in the first right. place, right? So when we look at liability is a huge thing to consider in the world of pharma medicine. Um, vaccines have no liability. And, and that's really important for people to understand. In the 80s, we took liability away from vaccines as a strategy to enhance immunity um, and um, you know get more people vaccinated because vaccines work. Um, and so we went from having 10 vaccines with like 12.8 um, percent, excuse me, we went from 10 vaccines in the 80s to 72 vaccines in 2019. And this is from a child from age zero to 18. So from 10 to 72 in 30 years of time. And um, that's where we see now 12.8% 
of neurological autoimmune chronic illnesses in children, um, which which was at 12.8% at 10 vaccines, went up to um, 54%, so a huge influx there when we increased vaccination. We saw one out of six children with a neurological disease, one out of seven with a speech delay, one out of four leaving elementary school on some form of a pharmaceutical drug. So we have more babies dying on the first day of life than any other industrialized country and more than 70% more likely to die before reaching the age of 18 in America than the other top 20 wealthy countries. Um, so when we're talking about the timeline of mortality and disease or illness in our pediatric through adolescents through teens, I think that there's a really big concern on the bullying tactics that are used to drive the vaccine in industry outcomes and the fact that now they can't be sued and that they don't have to go through safety studies against an inert placebo really drives home the influence of their no liability, for-profit bureaucracy, which are coming into our schools, coming into our places of work and telling us the decisions that we have to make of what goes in our bodies. And as we talked about in prior episodes, there's a very big difference to what is inhaled or what is ingested in comparison to what is injected. So when we look at the studies on MMR or thimerosal or aluminum, a lot of them are looking at ingestion versus injection. Again, none of them are comparing against a inert placebo, and none of them are looking at the polypharmacy or the influence of the timeline of many vaccines given within the year schedules of children and developmental influence. It's interesting. I just had our pediatrician tell me at our six-month wellness, who is a pro-vaccine choice pediatrician, uh, but she was like, really the amount, if you're concerned about you know, the, the adjuvants and, and aluminum, your baby's getting just as much from your breast milk as you would from an injection. And I'm like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> that goes through my lymphatic system. Okay. Um, skip that part. What else do you want to talk about? Let's talk baby lead weaning. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, um, when we're talking about this vaccine in particular, I think, um, we need to unpack again, how by definition, it's not actually a vaccine. It's an experimental genomic biologic injection or a computer program as they're calling it. Right. And again, the messaging is to get a hundred percent vaccination, not just herd immunity, including mm -hmm. injection plus infection. Um, and, um, we're seeing this just as a, as a wool as a wool pullover over the eyes. So so the big thing is again it doesn't have an attenuated or weakened or live virus for COVID nineteen and in fact it is a rotorovirus uh, mRNA. Um, so it's the first of its kind in the world of actually influencing on a genetic level. And instead of using adjuvants in the world of metals, there are more stimulus adjuvants in the form of toxins in lipids like PEG, which can cross the blood-brain barrier. So the, the experimental vaccine, or I'll call it a vaccine for lack of a better term, but it's an injection, right? Um, the vaccine is unnatural. Um, the single focused goal of it is to get your body to produce antibodies to the spike protein. The RNA has been genetically modified. It's not natural. It's a methyl pseudouridine. 
and the goal is for it to maintain viability. So normally, if you're exposed to a foreign form of RNA, not what your body produces, you have enzymes in your system and in your tissues that will immediately break it down, denature it, help your body to get rid of it. Um, and so when there's a lipid that encases this already genetically modified mRNA, right? Um, the lipids are really abnormal. Um, they have the ability to look like LDL particles so that your cells will take it up, um, but it's not taken up by the ACE2 receptor. Instead, it's taken up in the same way, um, it's not taken up, excuse me, in the same way that your body would take up the virus from exposure again, because this is an injection. You're not inhaling it through droplets, as everyone speaks about, right? Um, and so you're getting it into all of your cells. You've bypassed all of your mucosal membranes and uh, the virus in your natural mucosal system, you would have your body's ability to clear it, right? So A, you're able to cough it out right away. Um, you're also able to upregulate immunological response. Um, when you get it shot right into your arm, you're passing through all of these barriers and your body sends out a more hypersensitivity alarm. As your cells start to produce the viral spike proteins, your immune system rallies up to mop up the proteins and dump them into your lymphatic system. This is why a lot of people are getting more swollen lymph nodes because the, the immune system's like, this isn't right. Let's mm -hmm. get rid of this. Let's get rid of this. But the genetically engineered mRNA for the spike protein is developed, like I said, to avoid being metabolized or detoxed from your body. It's, it's developed to stick around longer. Um, and what we are concerned about is that when we see an influence on the spike protein and the ACE2 receptor, that this is what can drive the pulmonary hypertension, the ventricular heart disease or heart failure and stroke, because basically you start to downregulate ACE2 response in response to this injection. So strategically, they chose this cationic or positive lipid, positively charged lipid, if you will, to kind of work as like the adjuvant to disturb the plasma membranes and cause this immune response. Um, and it is extremely toxic to our cell membranes. Remember, our cell membranes are bilipid. And so when you start to interfere with the kind of barrier of what holds all of your cells intact, this positively charged lipid can trigger immune cells to rush in to aid the cells to try to mop up the spike protein being produced, allowing the vehicle that the RNA slips into the cells. And now once inside the cell, the mRNA delivers the instructions to produce enormous amounts of these spike proteins. Again, on an ongoing basis, this isn't a one-time exposure. This is on that computer programming scenario telling the body to produce this response. Right. And how do you shut it off? Like once you've injected it, how do you know? Right. <laughs> you don't. Um, and let's also talk maybe about the concern for those who've had prior infection, because I know I've seen this raised and, and have also seen um, just clinically in, in working with some of my people, um, those who've had prior infection are seeing worsened outcomes from getting the vaccine. Yes, because the viral antigens can remain in the body after a person is naturally infected and the immune response reactivated by the vaccine can trigger inflammation in the tissues where the viral antigens exist. So it's like a stimulus, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like re-scrubbing or reactivating. Whereas if you were exposed naturally to the virus, your body 
you'd be like, we know what this is. We know how to deal with this. Also, it's worth stating that the Pfizer and Moderna trials um, did not study previous infection right. of SARS-CoV-2. So there's no proof that it has any additional efficacy. And the fact that we aren't testing for prior infection and we're just telling everyone to get injected in itself is another eyebrow raise for the narrative of is this actually science are we actually looking at making the populace immune to this pathogen or are we just looking to get the populace injected right and i mean it's the first time in history we're vaccinating people for something they've already had in terms of a quote-unquote severe illness you wouldn't do that for polio you wouldn't even do it for chicken pox like right. we had that naturally we didn't have to get injected once mm -hmm. that vaccine came out you know when we were younger no doubt um so Let's talk maybe about the the Lancet study a little bit um, and set the context that, you know, just like masking, people really love to throw this phrase of trust the science, follow the science. And truly, the science doesn't show them to be that infect effective. And we can't fairly say that they've been vetted through, you know, scientific testing or ample clinical trials. Right. So this is looking at the Lancet study, which we'll link in the show notes, was looking at uh, relative risk reduction rather than absolute risk reduction. And it stated that when um, manufacturers of vaccines, again, because they don't have liability, they don't have to prove, the, the manufacturers themselves prove the efficacy of their own mm -hmm. profitable vaccines. That's a huge concern. There's not a check and balance there, right? <laughs> so when the manufacturer themselves is only using the relative reduced risk and not the absolute reduced risk, and they're omitting the absolute reduced risk, there's going to be bias in the reporting that gets introduced. And this is going to affect the interpretation, of course, of the efficacy of the said drug. So the absolute risk reduction is the difference between the attack rates with and without the vaccine. It considers the whole population and it looks at those that are in a substantially low risk currently our population, right? And the numbers are substantially less impressive. So this adjusted the reported numbers of efficacy, which are in the 80s and 90s, right? Um, this, this looked at the peer-reviewed studies that said, okay, 95% efficacy stated by the vaccine companies. And how come the vaccine company studies get to be peer-reviewed, but anything that goes against the narrative mm -hmm. isn't peer-reviewed? I just want to note that. <laughs> but anyway, this reduced the, the actual efficacy of Pfizer down to 0.84%, J&J to 1.2%, Moderna to 1.2%, AstraZeneca to 1.3%. So the highest efficacy of an absolute risk reduction was 1.3%. And of the two major ones, we saw 1.2 and 0.84%. Nothing even above 5% efficacy. Nope, I'll take my 99 plus percent. <laughs> effective immune system any day. Yes, no doubt. Um, and then, you know, there's the concern too on uh, the vaccine death reporting and, and the um, VAERS report. So that's the vaccine adverse event reporting system, which by the way, this vaccine has shown um, more deaths and more reports than the combined 20 plus year total that this VAERS has existed. So definitely concern of driving more harm than good with this intervention. No doubt. Uh, so I think it's fair to say, you know, no treatment 
is without risk. But when we have censorship of side effects and the risk and harms, and this is being withheld from the public scope, and we're seeing uh, financially incentivized over-reporting of efficacy and the message of just get the jab and financial and uh, other motivating factors to just get the jab with no informed consent, it really hinders the individual's ability to weigh out the cost to benefit with their healthcare provider or within their own household. So it's unprecedented for a vaccine to take under a decade to develop. And um, we see that generally only 2% or so of vaccine um, that are being researched ever make it to the market to get through phase three completion of clinical trials. Any of the prior tested mRNA vaccines didn't make it past animal clinical trials, never to people. This is the first ever mRNA human vaccination and only done because of that emergency authorization use. So in order for the Pfizer vaccine to actually outweigh the hazards that have presented, it would have to demonstrate more than a 27.28. So over 27 months, over two years of stability to protect against the coronavirus to actually show good efficacy. Because when we look at the costs that have been reported, they're very heavily outweighing the potential lack of benefits. We're seeing deaths are 14.6 times more frequent during the first 14 days after the first COVID injection among people over at the age of 60. So that's its own risk factor of mortality, 14.6 times increased mortality rate compared to those that aren't vaccinated. And that's quite extraordinary. Um, we see that mortalities are at least tenfold for those of other vaccines and of ages over 20. Uh, we see in children ages 0 to 9, 23% increased risk, and in children aged 10 to 19, even higher, potentially because of the hormonal influencing mm -hmm. effect of almost 30%, 29.5% increased risk of mortality from vaccine versus infection. So this is actually weighing out, is it better to allow your immune system to uh, be exposed and build immunity to this pandemic? or to inject the synthetic form uh, and, and where does the mortality risk lie. So again, for children aged 0 to 9, 23% increased mortality of injection over infection, 29.5% increased mortality from injection of infection in those aged 10 through 19. And right now we're seeing a huge push for those 12 and up, and I think it's only going to increase. Right, and, and why we're talking about vaccinating children is literally beyond me for a disease that doesn't affect them. But Less than anyway. the last five years combined yeah. of the flu yeah. each of the years, right? Um, so we've seen over 227,805 total adverse effects um, that were uh, reported to VAERS. That, of course, there's many underreported, as we know. We've seen 4,201 deaths, an increase of 144 just over this past week, and this was two weeks ago from us recording this now on Memorial Day, <laughs> and 18,500 serious injuries, which is up 1,338 from last week. We see 20% of the deaths related to cardiac disorders, 54% of those who died were male, 44% uh, were female, the remaining didn't note gender, so you know, pretty equally distributed, but a little bit higher male potentially impact. Um, we see average uh, age of death following the injection, age 74 and a half. Um, and the youngest death reported were two 15-year-olds and a 16-year-old. Um, and they had forms of myocarditis, which we'll speak about in a moment. Uh, 
We see as of May 14th, 1,140 pregnant women reported adverse effects to COVID vaccines, including 351 reports of miscarriage or premature birth. We're seeing uh, thousands of Bell palsy cases up 51% after the Pfizer vaccine and up 42% following Moderna. We see 195 reports of Guillain-Barr syndrome with over 40% increase in Pfizer and 38% increase from Moderna. And we see high amounts of anaphylaxis, which is shortness of breath and debilitating, um, basically inability to breathe and needing respiratory support. Um, and we see a high influx of clotting disorders as well. Many of those attributed high to the J&J, &J, which is why it was pulled off the market, but now is back on. Let's break down maybe some of those primary um, concerns of, of side effects with the injection. Yeah, so like I said, blood clots, um, because of that ACE2 influence with the spike protein, mm -hmm. we're seeing an influence with clotting factor, which drives risk for stroke and cardiovascular disease. So myocarditis is inflammation of the heart muscle, and it can have lifelong effects as it weakens the muscle and creates scar tissue in the heart. Um, again, we interestingly enough saw this as a, again, talk about gas lighting. This was like one of those aha things last year about like COVID could affect kids. There's right. a case of myocarditis. Right. There's right. been more myocarditis if already reported in teens that have had the vaccine than those that had actually been infected from COVID. And yet it's not making the headlines. Right. right. Um, we're seeing an influx of autoimmune and neurological conditions because the immune system goes haywire when it's trying to respond to this synthetic genetically modified RNA. Um, we see neurological conditions, especially with the, the blood-brain barrier of that PEG, um, which is the lipid carrier that drives the stress to the immune system. Uh, chronic inflammation, so similar in what we saw again with COVID itself, those cytokine storms. Um, we're seeing cancer risks, death, of course, mortality, and infertility. Um, there's a couple potential mechanisms of infertility. There are research studies that show that sperm has an ability to take this exogenous mRNA from a vaccine and actually reverse transcribe it into DNA and then produce plasmids that contain this cloned DNA. Um, and the sperm then releases these plasmids around the egg, um, which would uh, interfere with fertility outcomes still yet to know because even from the trials, we haven't had a positive pregnancy and a completion of, right. of delivery. Yep. with and healthy outcomes. I was just reading an, a mainstream article it was from the BBC about um, impact on women's hormone cycles and a lot of women reporting um, irregular periods after getting vaccinated. And it made a note, it was very interesting, it made a note that, oh yeah, your uterine lining is, you know, part of or impacted by kind of interacts with your immune system so that's just an immune response that your uterine lining can shed and i'm like wait a second so if it can shed and cause a period can't it shed and cause a stillbirth or a miscarriage yeah. but yeah. no no talk of it no talk at all right that's wild and I have also seen a uh, concentration of the spike protein being in spleen, which is actually a goal of vaccine mm -hmm. producers, of course, spleen, liver, and then tertiary, third area of concentration in ovaries, which is really interesting. And that's unheard of with most mm -hmm. vaccines. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk maybe some of the, the risks and, and if you had to get vaccinated or chose to do so, how you can support your system. Okay. 
So again, I think one of the things beyond those health concerns is this idea of compromised sovereignty or kind of surrendering your body to science. And that's kind of in the opening where I was doing this kind of like God, nature versus scientific discovery, allowing man or bureaucracy, bureaucratics, (laughs) (laughs) allowing man or bureaucrats or um, you know, tyranny, d- different political agenda policy to tell you what you have to do with your body, losing that right, that mm-hmm. freedom, that God-given um, ability to be free and well. And so I think that that's a, a pretty big dynamic emotionally, spiritually, and, and physiologically. And so one of the first things is to start to kind of reclaim that. So getting back into your body is really important. Um, This could be done through, again, mantra of releasing anxiety and rumination. Again, my goal is not for those of you who hear this, I hope that you hear this so that you don't go for your booster or you don't fall into the next line because I really think this marathon is going to be long. And this is not just a one-off incident of Mm COVID-19. This is something that is trying to transform humanity. So, you know, holding sovereignty, connecting with your innate voice, silencing the media, shutting down narratives, and really getting back into your system of what feels right to you, I think is really important. Maybe that includes getting into your body through dance or yoga or exercise so you can feel your muscle, you can feel your core, you can feel your body again, and then mentally, emotionally through prayer, through mantra, ways that allow you to reclaim that sovereignty I think is really important. Then I think more on the world of toxicity and one big area is to reduce exposure of other toxins because we already know that the immune system is trying to kind of figure out this quandary of this new, um, this novel experience, right? And so we really want to watch the influence of glyphosate Stephanie Seneff uh, is a MIT researcher and she does a lot of work on sulfur and glyphosate. I'd, I'd love to have her on here, but she talks about how, you know, the areas that are higher glyphosate toxicity, which means lower glutathione stores, mm-hmm. lower N-acetylcysteine because glyphosate is a neurotoxin and an inflammatory compound, that these people are going to have a higher uh, susceptibility to severity of outcomes, um, more lung and respiratory issues, more hindered or compromised immune function, and more severity with either natural infection or the, the injection itself. And so reducing our exposure of toxins is huge and um, focusing on an organic focused diet and more of a paleo-based diet, grass-fed, pasture-raised, organic produce, or at least locally grown where possible. So uh, avoiding that Roundup, which is the kind of main consumer form of glyphosate, would be a big one to watch out for because glyphosate, again, robs the body of sulfur and it robs the body of glycine. Um, And so we'll talk about where you can get glycine in a moment. Supporting your lymphatic system, as I mentioned, a lot more swollen lymph nodes following injection. So um, really working things like body brushing, massage. Um, I even think like the shaking that we do in dance. So like shaking on your heels, um, even like vibration plates, looking at sauna as a great support lifestyle wise. And then we think of the third risk factor of being clotting factor. So if we break it down, it's kind of like toxicity, 
lymphatic system support and clotting factors. So supporting beyond the mental emotional stuff I just unpacked, we think metabolic health and managing inflammation is key. So I would highly suggest getting your blood sugar controlled, uh, keeping your A1C under 5.4, ideally closer to 5.2 or so. You could do this through our food as medicine ketosis approach or a low glycemic, high antioxidant diet that is supported with, again, clean proteins manage inflammation beyond metabolic health. So with metabolic health, we think of that A1C and fasting insulin, as well as our lipids. I think cholesterol and heart disease is gonna to continue to be a big issue of this again, because of that connection of the PEG and the LDL molecule mimicking. So we're yet to see how this is going to impact those vaccinated with their LDL particle size. Mm -hmm. you know, I have no idea, but I would assume that there's going to be some influence. So managing inflammation and reducing those oxidized LDL particles will be really key. So high antioxidant intake, getting three to five colors of produce a day, um, supporting yourself with anti-inflammatory herbs, um, as well as omega-3 fatty acids. So in the supplement space, I would say super turmeric, and EPA, DHA extra, as well as inflamazyme are gonna be really important players. Those also are going to reduce that platelet aggregation or the stickiness blood clot factor so they can be preventative of those downstream side effects while reducing inflammation and managing those cytokine storms and such. In the world of lymphatic tissue support, I would and reducing toxicity, yes, there's the clean eating, yes, there's the body work, but also there's using the naturally nourished detox packs, which I'd be a huge proponent of. I have had individuals that had poor reactions to the vaccine and have upped them on two detox packs daily. And some of them have been on that for upwards of 45 plus days and getting substantially favorable outcomes. Now finally feeling back in their body, um, less of the chronic fatigue and the headaches and the loose stool um, and the arrhythmia that they were witnessing or experiencing in their body from the uh, potentially from the vaccine. Along the lines of the detox world, I would also emphasize our cellular antiox. Uh, we have been pushing this really as a big formula to support the pandemic across the board because we've seen glutathione and N-acetylcysteine to be really powerful antioxidants that reduce respiratory stress and uh, viral severity of infection. Um, so cell antiox would be really key there as well as Bracco detox. So detox pack, cell antiox, and Bracco detox in that world of lymphatic system and toxicity and really reducing the insult to the body. And then I would even layer in the relax and regulate as a key player because that magnesium bisglycinate Glycine is one of the only compounds that can actually offset the glyphosate exposure, which we get in our air even, in our groundwater from agricultural areas. So the relax and regulate also to help to aid in relaxation, sleep, mood management, the myo-inositol there to help to get women's hormones back mm -hmm. on track if they've had cycle irregularities would be a really big key. GI lining support to just get back those mucosal membranes, the lining of our immune system in our GALT, our gut-associated lymphatic system, um, all through that epithelial lining of the gut, so the GI lining support. And then along that vein, bringing in both the rebuild spectrum uh, and the targeted strength probiotic. Those are our heavier hit probiotics to really get that innate and acquired immune system firing for you and ensure good diversity in the microbiome. And as we're talking in this world of supplements, can we talk about the, the knack controversy that's going on? Right yeah, now? I think we, we have to. Are we allowed to talk about it on I here? Mean, <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, glutathione, again, has been probably, aside from vitamin D, 
the heaviest researched component of successful outcomes, redu reductions of severity of infection and also reductions of mortality. In fact, there were hospitals in, in New York that were doing IV glutathione. Again, I mentioned nebulizing glutathione, but taking N-acetylcysteine and also S-acetylglutathione combined with B6, which is our cell antiox, could be a very good way to support your body's ability to defend against complications. And this could be really any respiratory um, illness. It could also extend even to toxicity. That's why I put it in the detox tank as well. We know NAC is used pharmaceutically in hospitals if an individual is dealing with um, acetaminophen um, or Tylenol toxicity or even alcohol toxicity. Often they'll give NAC to help to support detox in the liver. So just as of last month, the FDA invoked a drug exclusion provision in the U.S. Um, codal, code, excuse me, Title 21, to ban the sale of N-acetylcysteine or NAC. And um, the FDA is basically trying to claim that it has uh, used NAC in a pharmaceutical sense um, for over four decades and that the use as a over-the-counter um, would interfere with pharmaceutical use. So we know that NAC has several health benefits. It reduces oxidative stress. It plays a significant role in neurological conditions, cancer, stroke, uh, prevention, of course, of these things, diabetes and liver disease. And so if this does get removed as a supplement, I've been taking NAC for over a decade now myself, um, this creates a really scary, slippery slope in the world of natural medicine. Mm -hmm. And wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You might want to just stock up on a couple bottles of cellular antiox just in case we get hit by it. It's not looking like it yet, but stock up. Grab a couple. Yeah, I, I mean, right. We actually increased our order load because it's kind of one of those, like, let's go. Let's yeah. support people and give them all the things. So I would highly suggest that um, you take advantage of snagging some cellular antioxidants. Amazon has already, as, yeah, you of, can't find it. as of May 15th, I think it was, Amazon completely wiped any NAC off of their website. Um, so none is being sold there. I think that we'll see that follow suit with like Whole Foods and Walgreens and CVS. And so uh, we will sell it until we are told we cannot. And then we'll still get creative and figure things out. Um, you know, know that if NAC does get banned, um, you know, the components that build glutathione are cysteine, glutamine, and glycine. So N-acetylcysteine is that direct building block, but that's also why, again, the glycine and the relax and regulate is an essential key and the GI lining support with the L-glutamine, other building blocks. Um, but if you're looking for the direct boost, our cellular antioxidants would be the best formula. And the FDA hasn't said anything about glutathione yet. So um, right. they kind of missed the, the boat on that one. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's interesting. Um, all right. So let's maybe transition from, you know, talk on injection um, to the world of civil disobedience. Um, how do listeners take a stance on these tyrannical mandates that are not health supporting and, and may in fact be harmful to themselves and their children? Let's talk like body autonomy and taking off the damn masks and yes. all the things. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the biggest one because I'm, I'm really getting concerned of next school year. Mm -hmm. I, I saw, thank God for Texas, we are one of five states 
that is banning mask mandates in governmental establishments, aside from, I believe, long-term care and hospitals, of course. So that does include schools, libraries. So I'm so excited to return to the library with Stella. Um, and you know that you can go to our capital, XYZ, without mandatory testing or masking, which is wonderful. But there are so many states that are making vaccination a contingency mm-hmm. and also maintaining their mask mandates. So I think it's absolutely essential now that you speak up and you connect with your school board, you network with parents, and you take the masks off yourself. Because if we continue to go on with this charade, we continue to sit in this um, narrowing hallway of where we're being pushed to go and we're losing more and more autonomy or choice in how we support our whole body health. So I think that even I've gotten really to the point, literally when I returned from Florida, (laughs) um, we went at the end of March, early April, and I didn't travel. I told Brady, I'm like, we're going on a road trip. I'm not traveling with a mask, period. I'm not putting one on my face. And kind of the buck stops here. And since then, I don't think if maybe one or two times, and if so, I was wearing my mesh Sissy Lala, like see-through, you know, does this make you feel safe? This is a virtue <laughs> signal. Um, but I've, I'm really gotten to the point where I'm like, I'm, I'm just not acquiescing. And, you know, acquiescing would be doing something that is against my will and my choice for another purpose, you know, to please you or to appease you or to follow the guidelines. So to not mask is to promote civil disobedience. So even if it says on the door required, don't wear a mask let people ask you to. Now it stops, it transitions from civil disobedience to uncivil when you start yelling or you start throwing things or swearing or creating a scene or getting aggressive and mean. So what I had started to do, even in places that mandate is I don't wear it and then I will pause and I'll, I'll, if no one says something to me, great, in and out, doing my thing. If someone says something to me, I say, I choose between no thank you or I choose between Oh, I'm exempt. And that then just it, throws them off the, oh, I'm exempt. And like and this sweet little, going, like, like, bless thanks. your heart way. It's great. Yeah. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then it's like, you just kind of keep going on your way. And then if they're still going to push you, then I usually say, okay, that's frustrating. I'll take my business elsewhere. And I walk out peacefully. Um, any other techniques there, Becky, and like ways to get around I mean, having a, a cute baby really helps because I think... It, it wasn't March 10th. I was still like a little bit afraid to go in the grocery store. But very soon thereafter, when the Texas mandates were lifted, um, I realized that some of the grocery stores had exemption, you know, even in their, their signage, you know, uh, exemption supply for those with certain health issues. I'm like, okay, I have certain health issues and you can't ask me about those health issues. Right. And Um, I think just going in fully like bulletproof of like, you can't mess with me being super kind and um, genuine and saying, oh, thank you so much, but I'm good. Mm -hmm. And just kind of walking on by and and really what they would have to do um, is tell you that you can't either physically block you from entering (laughs) um, if you won't put one on. Or, you know, you can say to them, am I going to be removed from the premises? Okay, well, I'll speed my shopping up and, and you know, you let me know when I need to leave. And, and that's kind right. of it. I mean. Right. That's a question I've asked too is, will I still be able to check out? Right. Um, can I make a transaction? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. And if not, 
I'm out of here. Yep. Kind of thing. Yep. Uh, but every time you do it, it does get easier. It does. I used to get a lot more anxious, so I would take a gabble calm every time yeah. yep. before just to not get my nerves For up. Sure. And then I feel like you send out that vibration and then people look at you differently. Right. Um, and it's interesting because now it's like we have this unspoken language where other people that aren't masking, when you smile at them, it says a million things like, oh, here we are in the right. world again. And um, it's it's just been really wild to start to embrace that and start to move things forward to create the expectation that it's okay to see a smile and nonverbal communication again. Right. And it's so interesting and speaks volumes that, you know, the people who are shouting, follow the science, trust the CDC. Well, the CDC just told you, you don't have to wear that mask anymore, but you're choosing not to trust them now. Yeah. (laughs) It's interesting. There's that. Yeah. Um, But definitely, you know, a lot of pressure felt with both vaccine messaging and mask mandates. Um, and, and there's actual funded research in terms of the kind of coercion techniques Truly coercive, going yes. on, mm-hmm. um, which is super wild. Let's talk about that Yale study and why this is important to know about. Yes. So I also shared as an Instagram post uh, when teens were allowed to fall into the EAU uh, vaccine category. The boy that got the severe blood clots was a basketball player. And, you know, just mentioned again, like as parents, we have to hold strength of what is the risk factor. And again, this isn't an, interestingly enough, this isn't an anti-vax push in the sense of, I would say, like if I had an, my, my 88 year old grandpa has to weigh out the cost mm-hmm. of benefit of doing this emergency authorization use injection, which may reduce the severity of his infection because he has a compromised immune system in his elderly state. And that may be a cost of benefit that is favorable. But for a high schooler, for a metabolically healthy individual, for someone that has optimized vitamin D and is proactive with their nourishment, for someone who's managing their inflammation, the cost of benefit is not favorable. So we just have to kind of be mindful about that. And it's really sad that people are feeling that it's their place to ask at dinner parties, at um, child gatherings, at other places. I saw that, um, I can I, I don't care, I can say it, uh, Melissa, whatever, from... Um, what is it? Whole 30. Whole 30. Yeah. yeah. She had this whole like thing about, you know, these are my bare, these are my boundaries. And this is how I'm standing by my boundaries. If you aren't vaccinated, I'm not doing this with you and I'm not doing that. And it's like, who are you to say what I do with my body? What happened to the whole, my body, my choice. And, you know, Yale, um, actually put out a research study where they looked at the vaccine and the intervention was various forms of messaging. So they had a control message, a baseline message, a personal freedom message, an economic freedom message, Mm. which we're seeing now like lotteries. Mm. We're seeing lotteries and mandates for work, which would be economic, right? Self-interest message of maybe, oh, you can take that mask off. Community interest message, save others, right? Economic benefit, guilt message, embarrassment message, anger message, trust in science message, and not bravery message. So this was a funded research study to actually see how these various forms of messaging campaigns would influence outcomes with vaccine hesitancy and how that would get people to commit or to, you know, put their arm out and, and, and release their sovereignty of their body. 
seems like pretty much all of them are being used right now, doesn't it? hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Um, I so, just saw this terrible yeah. commercial in Connecticut and, um, it was like how they're doing free, free cocktails for those that have been vaxxed. You know I mean? There's so many things oh that don't, so we right. haven't even ranted on right. that. Right. But, um, and they said like free cocktails for those who've been vaccinated and you don't have to wear your mask, whatever. And it's this terrible low budge commercial. And it's like these people sitting at the bar and they're like, yeah, isn't it so cool that we don't have to put on our mask between our sips of our cocktails? Like, well, who is who doing was that? Who was doing that anyway, Anyway, guys. I mean, who knows? <laughs> but then they're like sipping their cocktails and they're like, and they're free if you have your vaccine um, card to prove it. And the server comes over to this table where there's one lady sitting at the table wearing a mask <laughs> and he brings a cocktail to three of the others and he looks at her and he has the tab and he goes, oh yeah, you don't get the jab, you get the tab. And he like slaps, oh my God. <laughs> he slaps it on oh the table. God. Like just this like rude it's just so wild the conditioning and the aggression and the desperation i think it's just so desperate that it seems silly to me that feels like parody that feels like an snl skit but it so have a lot of this whole year year. last year has felt like an onion newspaper Mm -hmm. yeah um and and just knowing there's (laughs) this funding funding and and you know a lot of research and marketing going on to these modes of of manipulation um when you're at a dinner party or planning for kids to play a meetup, how do you answer the question, have you been vaccinated? Because you know it's going to come up. Someone asked me in my neighborhood while I was walking this Okay, let's this just week. go back with our favorites, <laughs> Becky, okay? Ready? Oh, I don't know if they're um, <laughs> podcast appropriate, but go ahead. <laughs> do the best you can. Um, so one is, oh, I'm actually in the placebo control group. Yep, that's a great one. I like that um, one. And then that makes them kind of feel like, what? Er? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Wait, are you actually in a study? And you're just like, smile. Yep. <laughs> oh, I can't disclose the details of the of the, the research. <laughs> um, I like to say I identify as vaccinated. That's one of my favorites I right like, now. I like that It gets one. into identity politics. And then you can't really mess with me, right? <laughs> right. I like like uh, using comedy and um, dissociative distraction. Like, Oh, I want to, but I'm dealing with this really gnarly case of hemorrhoids. And until that flare goes down, I mean, I'm just not. Do you want to see him? (laughs) That's a good one. Um, I've also heard, but not been brave enough to say it yet. Um, I might get there. Someone asks, are you vaccinated? And you just fire back. Are you circumcised if it's a male? (laughs) I like that one. Because we're asking about, you know, people's medical choices and freedom. And it's not something that's visible on the surface. So I think that should be fair game. Yep. I think my more like real answer would be using science. Mm -hmm. And so I would probably say, you know, you know, first off, it's not a vaccine. It's an experimental genomic biological injection that doesn't reduce spread, but instead is set to support the vaccinated from severity of infection. And I'm sorry, if you don't understand the difference of that, I don't believe we have anything else to discuss. <laughs> um, or I have natural immunity, right. which is clinically proven to be superior with a lower infectivity rate. So I'm actually already protecting you without harming my body. Um, or you can just say yes naturally yep. that's been my because that's kind of like a, <laughs> I'm naturally vaccinated with you know my prior infection but also I'm saying yes to your question yes comma naturally right. you can also look <laughs> through them and not answer right. it and ask right. another question right. totally random and act like you didn't hear them uh you can also just kindly say oh I don't feel comfortable talking about personal medical choice in public right I think that there's so many ways and, and you just kind of deal and, and talk to those that you do 
uh, have on your team or in your pod or your household that are on a similar uh, playing field so that you can feel comfortable and well-versed with your response. But I think that no, again, medical procedure should ever be implemented through coercion, whether it be coercion from your healthcare provider, through the media, through social interaction, through other family member households, that if, if you feel in your innate being that it's not appropriate, then maybe you also make peace with lip servicing whatever makes that said person feel good, and that's your call. You right. know, as far as like I've heard terrible stories of grandparents where the mother, or you know, it might be an in-law, and it's the son's mother, the the mother saying, "You can't see your grandkids until you've been vaccinated," mm. um, and I just think that that's really heavy manipulation and that that individual, that grandma has to make the call of, right. does she override her own personal sovereignty or does she lie to this individual that clearly has some forms of mental illness through the narrative? Right. Yep. And I, I would maybe just choose lying in that sense. Right. Sorry. Right. I'm sure there's a very creative way to, to spin it and say it. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or and, and if you have been infected, maybe you do get some some more advanced T cell sure. B cell testing, yep. and you use that, and that could be a very reasonable way to to really support that. And that goes into the world of employers. Let's talk a little bit about yep. that, Becky. Yeah. Because um, you know, legally, the bottom line is you cannot mandate products that are authorized for emergency use authorization status. This violates federal law. And um, we know that the COVID vaccine, COVID PCR and antigen tests, and masks, all of them actually are merely emergency authorization use authorized. They're not approved or licensed by the federal government, and long-term safety and efficacy have not been proven. And this is why it's not just a damn mask, because you breaking this sovereignty or this ability to hold your ground by masking and complying opens up this shit show of potentially then laying down your body. Um, we know though that the EUA emergency, excuse me, the emergency use authorization products um, are experimental, of course, by definition, and this requires people to be given the right to refuse them legally under the Nurem- the Nuremberg Code, um, Nuremberg Code. Um, and so this is the foundation of ethical medicine. No one may be coerced to participate in a medical experiment. Consent of the individual is absolutely essential. And OSHA actually came out with a clarifying mm-hmm. stance on required versus recommended. So that would be the thing to talk through with your employer is what does required mean? And if by required, are you willing to sign a statement by my attorney that notes that if I have any symptom or side effect that you're going to take financial and medical liability? Right. Because this is an EUA, not a uh, FDA cleared medical experiment. There's actually some good stuff over at Children's Health Defense. Um, They have a couple of like forms that you can actually print out for your employer um, in terms of kind of explaining this in legal language. Um, And I think they have that for employers. I think they have it even for mask exemption and for the vaccine. Yeah. And so there's this quote from Holland and Glasser from Children's Defense Mm -hmm. Fund that says, if a vaccine has been issued EUA by the FDA, it is not fully licensed and must be voluntary. A private private party, such as an employer, school, or hospital, cannot circumvent the EUA law, which prohibits mandates. Indeed, the EUA law preventing mandates is so explicit that there's only one 
precedent case regarding an attempt to mandate an EUA vaccine. Um, and so you could literally copy paste that in an email. And um, I think it's just then clarifying how that influences your performance. Right. Performance and, and job status and all of the things. And I know in Texas, um, Methodist Hospital in Houston um, was requiring it. And I know there's like a pretty Huge large lawsuit, lawsuit now. Um, and just this weekend, actually, the um, I forget what the bill number is, but uh, the bill to... Um, to what's the language I'm looking for, um, to oppose mandates of, of any kind, um, actually is being passed and is going to be signed this week. So I think we're in good shape in Texas. But if you move to Texas, you have to keep it Texas. Yep, exactly. That's the rule. <laughs> exactly. Um, and, and so what about with, um, just kind of summer travel and, um, all of that world of things. I think we need to address summer camp and the CDC summer camp um, guidelines, which are kind of atrocious. I think blatantly so, Becky. Uh, now these did, to be fair, come out two weeks prior to the CDC releasing the mandate of masks outside for vaccinated and releasing now indoor and everywhere for vaccinated. Again, though, summer camp and children wouldn't fall into this. And this is the sad thing is do not let the children fall behind in this, no. in this narrative because that is the darkest. Talk about like spirit-killing, harmful influence on our, on our future. So right now there are pretty severe guidelines for summer camp. Masks should be placed on um, everyone over age two. Um, but listen to this, indoors and outdoors, whether the activity is indoors or outdoors, staff and campers should wear masks over the nose and mouth, especially when physical distancing is difficult. Again, whether activities are indoors or outdoors, imagine a hot, sweaty summer camp and having children aged two and up mandating a mask. Oh my goodness. Then it says, masks should not be placed on anyone younger than two years old, anyone who has trouble breathing or is unconscious. I should what hope not. Flip <laughs> what the flip? And then anyone who is incapacitated or otherwise unable to remove the cover without help. Hmm. That's disgusting. Um, store masks properly and wash them regularly, blah, blah, blah. And it talks about procedures of washing and, um, and uh, storage. Do not wear a mask when doing activities that could get your mask wet, like swimming at the beach or pool. Again, I'd hope. And then it says... A wet mask can make it difficult to breathe <laughs> and might not work. So oh, what not, happens with we're the not wet? We're not worried from, about breathing, though. And what happens with the wet from sweat? Right, right. Isn't everything right. in summer with a child running around playing tag, playing tug of rope, doing anything cre create conditions for a wet mask? I don't even understand that logically. You're outside. Your face is sweating all the time without a mask on it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> then there's physical guidelines of spacing out. Um, provide physical guidelines such as tape on the floors or sidewalks and sign on the walls to ensure the staff and campers remain distanced in lines at all times. These are like overnight camps. Right. This doesn't even make any sense. And then here's their random physical distance guidelines. Again, talk about arbitrary. Establish camp policies and implement strategies that promote physical distancing indoors and outdoors of at least three feet between all campers within a cohort so literally within your, your bunk room where you share a bathroom, you need to be three feet apart. Can't yep. pass through that hallway. Good luck enforcing that. At kids. least six <laughs> feet between all campers outside of their cohort. At least six feet when eating or drinking, including among people in the mm. same cohort. Mm. <laughs> 
But if they're not eating or drinking, they they can be be within three feet. That's Mm -hmm. a reversal of the restaurant. Um, That's very interesting. (laughs) What kind of crap do these people smoke when they put these guidelines together? At least six feet between campers and staff and at least six feet between staff. Okay. We're seeing. Well, yeah. Not going to summer camp. Thank goodness. Uh, I'm really grateful I don't have to make these choices for Noah. Yes. <laughs> we wouldn't be going. Goodness. But the but the fear is, is that these may be what we're seeing in back to school right. guidelines. And this is why you need to take the mask off now and start to empower your child and tell the schools, because even governmental schools get money per student, per seat. You are going to pull your child out if they're going to mandate this tyranny, which is emergency use authorization and experimental and has not demonstrated long-term health outcomes. Period. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, and beyond that, what about um, supporting loved ones that have to wear a mask? Again, so let's say you do that. Just take it off. <laughs> right, right, right. I know, I know, I know. But yep. again, it, it, there's no logical sense. Right. It's purely virtue signaling and it's detrimental to our wellness. We know this. You have to keep speaking out about that and doing what you can. But there are, I understand, exceptions. And I don't want, again, anyone to feel judged or shamed. If you can choose, do not use the PPEs with the microplastics. Those are really harmful as far as the tiny microplastics that you can inhale that can drive compromised respiratory function as well as risk for lung cancer. Choose an organic breathable material. Um, Go for mesh if you must, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, Get breaks as much as possible. Keep it dry, yes. Take probiotics regularly to regulate the microbiome. So I would, you know, Get your kid going on the kid's biotic, but maybe even the rebuild spectrum if they must mask still. Um, Support their respiratory tract with essential oils, maybe in the bedroom. Um, If it's an adult, taking the herbal immune a couple times um, a week would be good. And then, of course, cell antiox and bio-C+. And ensure you have good ventilation, excuse me, in the classroom, in the household, in the workspace. On the note of the PPEs, I don't know if we shared this on the podcast, Allie. Um, I was horrified to learn that some schools are actually, you know, parents are sending their kids in with a cloth cloth mask or, you know, whatever they ma- the mask they feel comfortable with using is. And children at school being forced or coerced or handed a blue PPE or black, mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and forced to wear that mask instead mm-hmm. of the own mask and, and parents maybe not even knowing. So that might be something to ask your kiddo about. Yeah. Like, hey, are you allowed to wear this mask all day or do you have to switch it up? And what do mask breaks look like and, and all of that too? Because that's certainly concerning for the, the inhalation of the microplastics and you know, if they're given one all day long, it's disgusting. Oh, it's so sad, yes. Um, okay, last thing I want to cover is this kind yeah. of potential shed or what we're seeing with unvaxxed uh, individuals around coworkers or household members that are recently vaccinated and having abnormal immune or hormonal reactions and um, what we can do in that capacity. So can you read, let's read this listener question yeah. and then we'll wrap sure. things up. All right. I love following along on your podcast and blog. I have a question. Will you be doing a podcast? Yes, it's today. Um, <laughs> on how to support the body while being around vaccinated people. I've read countless horror stories of women who are not vaccinated, but have been around those that have chosen the vaccine and are experiencing nosebleeds and menstrual cycles that are no longer normal. I'm trying to protect myself the best I can through supplements and nutrition with much appreciation for your hard work and teaching me so much about food as medicine. 
Well, thank you, listener. I think we hit on this a little bit in the sense of, you know, support in the world of detox. So yes, I would say to this listener, I would bring in a detox pack once a day for sure. And if having symptoms could ramp that up to two. Um, and then we also talked about the cellular antiox as a key and the Brocco detox. And then I'll just kind of, you can go back to that part of, you know, any, any of those components. So if you're having clotting factor things, then like the inflammasome, EPA, DHA, extra would be things to consider as well. In the world of nose um, bleeds, I would also bring in like the X-Lear um, saline to just kind of wash out the nasal passage. I think that that's important because uh, part of the consideration is that some of the shedding is coming off through expelling in the mm-hmm. respiratory. And that's also the like, dun, dun, dun. Is that why they're having the vaccinated people take their masks off right. so they can oh, then God. expel this more? I know. <laughs> He's like, no, no time for this negative thought process. But so, so I think that still using and supporting that idea of maintaining moist mucosal membranes and keeping your, re- your respiratory tract, um, moistened through um, hot shower and through the x clear spray or the sovereign silver um, and colloidal silver spray and then maybe even the essential oils would be good ways to kind of again kind of regulate that area of exposure because i think that that's the primary um, there aren't studies on this at this juncture i know that there are two physicians actually conducting research on the mrna shifts in menstrual cycles there are two females that experienced them themselves so we'll probably be doing a follow-up on that and I have heard some physicians talk about pheromone influence of, you know, just like how women's menstrual cycles that live together as dorm um, or roommates in apartments and we're not confined each other as far as their menstrual cycles, uh, the pheromones that are secreted through the response to vaccine could also have that um, influence on individuals that spend a lot of time together. I think though with any of that, the biggest advice beyond supporting detox, reducing toxicity exposure, aiding in lymphatic flow, maintaining good gut microbiome and gut integrity and nutritional status and inflammatory response and metabolic health, those are all really essential. But going back kind of full circle to close this out, I think maintaining your vibration is huge. So if we think back to that idea of fear and shame and anger being these really low vibrational states that Dr. Hawkins discusses in his studies, how can you support your whole body health, the the influence and vibration of your household and an overall humanity by getting on higher rungs of the ladder of vibrational wellness, if you will. So this is um, something I want to just read that uh, our dear friend, Dr. Deb Kern put together. And I'm not sure if this is from his verbatim of his book or, and we'll link his, his book and research as well in the notes, or if this is hers. So I give them both credit. Um, one individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of optimism and a willing and of willingness to be non-judgmental of others will counterbalance the negativity of 90,000 individuals who calibrate at lower weakening levels. One individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of pure love and reverence for all life will counterbalance the negativity of 750,000 individuals who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. One individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of illumination, bliss, and infinite peace will counterbalance the negativity of 10 million people who calibrate at the lower weakening levels. One individual who lives and vibrates to the energy of grace, 
pure spirit beyond the body in a world of complete oneness will counterbalance the negativity of 70 million people who calibrate at lower weakening levels. So again, potentially the highest amount of civil disobedience we can have is to not fall victim of the narrative, to not fall victim to low energy suck vibrations, but to instead hold our ground of light and love and joy and wellness and bliss and that contagion is the most freeing from this pandemic than any, you know, influencing factor out there can be. Whew, that's powerful stuff. I hope. So, I, yeah, I mean, that's that's been Becky in my conversation, not in as eloquent of terms, but like as all these things come up, we're like, well, if my body can counterbalance a potential biological warfare made in a lab, um, because we both have had COVID, right. <laughs> we're like, then my body we're can good. also handle this pheromonal influence from someone that has the vaccine, and it can also counterbalance chemtrails and it can also counterbalance <laughs> like bring it on world because this is where we are and this is hormesis and this is what is strengthening me and making me stronger and honestly i mean i will say that that is the one blessing in disguise is a recalibration within my connective relationship with god with spirit with the way i'm running my household um really taking a pause to understand how how i can manifest wellness and bliss to the best of my ability i love it Yes. Love it, love it. So right. I think just to wrap up, yes. if we're thinking opposition of what is being presented to you um, or against your innate knowingness of righteousness, um, this is the best way for us to assert civil disobedience. So how can you work in opposition of what is being presented or told to you or what is sounding against your innate knowingness of, of, of what is right? So if masks restrict respiratory function, how can you work breath work? If masks restrict nonverbal communication, how can you shine higher, brighter with kindness, peace, and acceptance? If masks restrict your smile, how can you smile bigger, more often, greater at those that you love? If over-sanitization drives sterility, how can you get into nature and hike and put your hands in the dirt and, and, and ensure diversity of microbiome? How can you eat cultured fermented vegetables and probiotic rich foods? How can you reduce stress so that you're not sterilizing additionally your microbiome? If isolation and lockdown are creating illness, how can you hug longer and stronger with those you love or feel more deep connected ties with those people in your community or sing louder or brighter? If hindered spirit or depression is impacting you, how can you find peace, joy, and bliss? So I hope today's episode was not too shock and awe scary. Again, um, all food for thought and things that I think are worth considering as we move forward through this marathon. And I hope my homework to you all is to support your body and your household with a way of asserting civil disobedience in the most joy, blissful way that you can express it. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.